Welcome to The Slow Road to Better. In this podcast, you'll hear from members of the Stroke Comeback Center in Vienna, Virginia. The members of the show wanted a way to build a bridge of hope and encouragement for other stroke and brain injury survivors with aphasia. By sharing their personal triumphs and failures, they hope to motivate others to never give up. Let's listen in on The Slow Road to Better. another special guest with us her podcast group request Mackenzie is here with us you'll often just hear us refer to her as Mac because it's easier Mac is a speech pathologist and a researcher I think she is officially Dr. Mac six more months all right well I'm just gonna call her Ken's you're going to call her what? Ken's. Ken's, Ken's instead, of, <laughs> instead of Matt. Sure. Go for it. Whatever works for you. We're very, very grateful for you to uh, be here with us today. You guys are cracking me up. <laughs> <laughs> now when you see what it actually looks like. Oh, totally. I played one of your podcasts for my husband this morning, and it's so funny to see what it actually looks like behind the scenes. Well, I have a question. Uh, inner speech it's what's the process i i know it's hard to calculate it's in my head maybe can we start with the definition of what is inner speech please yeah that's a great question um so ashley's asking me this because my research um, for my thesis project is on inner speech in people with aphasia and so one important thing to say at the outset is the way that i define inner speech for my work is not necessarily the only definition of inner speech everybody has thoughts in their head sometimes they're real words sometimes it's a little fuzzy but for my project I think of inner speech as being able to think of a word in your head and actually hear that word um, or even imagine yourself saying that word in your head. So when you're trying to name a picture or have a conversation, I'm thinking of the inner speech as getting the words in your head, even if you can't get them out loud. I have a question. All right. Nope. It's people <laughs> I, I know. It, it, Apraxia is in the way because it's it, I it's crisp, clear in my head, perfect, sweet, and now gabbling. Go- yeah. Praxia is the motor aspect of it. You know what you want to say. You have the word, but you can't make the muscles of your mouth move the way you want them to move so that you get the word that you want. Me too. Mm-hmm. Joyce, do you feel like that describes yes. what your problem is? Yes. Do you think you only have apraxia, or do you think you have a mix of aphasia and apraxia? Both. Both. Well, define uh, aphasia. You Melissa. define aphasia. No, you... <laughs> Can anyone here define aphasia? It sucks. Me. What is aphasia. it? It's a language disability. So... Some of the words come out messed up. Yeah, they're not the right words. Inside our head, they're the right words, but a lot of the times they come out incorrectly. 
aphasia is more of the language aspect. So it can be your reading, it could be your writing, it can be your understanding when people are talking to you. Reading, writing, listening, talking. Finding the right words. What did I miss? <laughs> Sometimes you can't even come up with a word. It's related. So it's not exactly the word you want, but it's sort of somehow related to the word that you want. I have a question. Why aphasia versus some other a- aspects? That's a good question. Um, it seemed like you were asking if someone in my life had aphasia. That's not the case. I didn't meet anyone with aphasia until I started my speech therapy master's program. I, When I was in college, I studied linguistics, so I was really interested in languages and understanding how they work um, and how people use them and how use of language affects how people interact with each other. And so when I went to school for speech therapy and learned about what can happen in an adult where language goes wrong, like you guys were describing, I got really interested in that. And I worked as a speech therapist in a hospital, working mostly with people with aphasia, um, but then got interested in research. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. From some of the literature that I read on inner speech, what I found really sort of most intriguing, perhaps out of this, with the combination of neuroimaging, that there is a a possibility to impact treatment techniques, that you could figure out what was actually going on in someone's head, and maybe you would need their MRI data to help you, but that you could then personalize someone's treatment even more and potentially impact their their outcomes can you speak to that at all yeah yeah that's a great question and i and i want some (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the the big goal um the work i'm doing now isn't on treatment but what i think is possible is um you know ashley you were saying that you feel like you always have good inner speech and your trouble is just getting the words out Um, So understanding that experience compared to someone who, um, as you were saying, Melissa, can't even think of the words in their head and isn't getting to success even in inner speech, those two people might need different types of therapy. But then even more than that, each person might have some words that are good in their inner speech and some words that they can't get to in their inner speech. So in designing treatment, you could even pick certain words that you deal with differently based on what that person says about what's in their head. Hmm. Especially if you found you had a core of vocabulary that were important words that you didn't have good inner speech for. Right. I mean, that's... Think about how much time you would save if you could just narrow down on that. Um, What we've been able to see so far, um, and I am still crunching the data, as you said, so nothing um, definitive. But what she's not gonna like give you the big. uh, She's gotta save that for her conclusion for her PhD. Um, yeah, that's what's going to make me Dr. Mac. That's not right. Yet, right now. <laughs> not giving us all can't, the good. Can't give it away. Um, but what I'm seeing so far is um, that when people say that they can say a word in their head, many of them are right. So 
what I'm trying to do is find some evidence that that word is in their head because sometimes you might think you have it, but you might be wrong. Um, but what I'm finding so far is that uh, people with aphasia tend to be right about what's in their head, um, which is another reason why I think it could help treatment. Yeah, I am yeah. interested by the conclusion about that. It's, you know, in my head, it's what, what's the research based on like that? Like how do they figure it out? Exactly. Sure. Um, so one way is... For example, if I showed you a picture of a crab and I said, what's the first letter? Or I I asked you if you could name that picture in your head and you said yes. And then I asked you the first letter and you said something other than C. And I asked you um, other things about that word um, and you couldn't tell me, then I might think that you were wrong, that you didn't actually have that word in your head. But if you can tell me it starts with a C, it has one syllable, it rhymes with some word that rhymes with crab, (laughs) 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 then um, I might start to think that you were right, that you had that word in your head. Um, So those are the types of tests that I've been doing in my research project. How do you, how do you, that's what I've been doing since I got hurt, as um, I can think of the word, I can think of the word. But oh, I, I I can't say the word, and so like the first word I would say is dinner instead of crab, <laughs> like yummy, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of related. I, that's what I think. I just go around and around and around, and, like I just can't stop in the middle and say the word. That's a good strategy, though. You know, a lot of times that helps you get to the word, right? By the time you describe all that stuff, your brain has made that connection, and it gives you the word that you're hunting for. Or your listener has listened to all the words you've given them. You've given them all good, cl- all good clues. And Patty goes, oh, are you trying to tell me you want, you want crabs for dinner? You go, yes, yes, that's what I want. I want crabs. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, so yeah. listening to this discussion, Joyce, on inner speech, do you think that there are times when you have it in your head, you have the word in your head and can't say it? Yes. 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 Do you think you can actually hear the word in your head? Can you? Yeah. You can mm-hmm. hear it, and yeah. you just can't get it out. Nope. Anybody else feel like they have good inner speech? Yep. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So Pat, you're the you're clearly saying no. I I have to say I'm sorry in a way, but <laughs> I'm I love that because it, it's. It's obvious. Anybody looking at you, you're like, no, I don't, definitely don't have the word in my head. <laughs> can you? So, can you describe what that feels like? Um, how do I feel about that? Or, or how it feels? Like if these guys are all saying, I can feel it. Like I can hear it in my head. What's going on in your head when you're hunting for a word? I guess I sound like I think I'm like a little kid. Because I, I'm, for me, when I got hurt, I had to start again with little words. And I'm just, 10 years later, I'm still, I'm not really, I'm, I'm, I'm in like third grade maybe. And so I can't say these big words. So I just know that, you know, I just keep keep going to practice and saying bigger words. So I guess for me, I'm just like, I mean, that's not exactly what, we're talking about right now but for me it's like still alive so i can't be mad at myself 
I'm happy. And so then I'll be like, okay, well, let's keep practicing. But big words, I'm just like, darn it. Like I'm mad sometimes, but I'm like, but I do know that's a word, uh, a me, sorry, uh, see, that's not the right word. A, uh, it's a big, long word, so how am I supposed to make up how to say it? So I'm just like, let's, uh, let's try to think of what I'm trying to say. Do you think for you, the longer the word, the harder it is? Oh, yeah. Hmm. You agree with that? Yeah. Joyce, <laughs> I think, though, that has a lot to do with your apraxia. It's just harder to sequence something that's longer. Yeah. I think if Max said to you, can you tell me the letter? You may not be able to say C, but you can often write it. You can write so much more than you can say, which mm-hmm. tells me it's in your head. It's just the motor aspect. Yeah. Mac, did I cut you off? Did you have something to add to that? No, I was just going to agree. And um, the way that I've been um, doing my testing is to have people point to the answers. Um, so they're pointing to the letter C rather than having to say it. Because I think, just like you said, someone with apraxia is the type of person who has that knowledge and can't get it out. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't keeping them from sharing it by asking them to say it. You know, you know that happens a lot when we go to restaurants, and I I look at it and I think I'm close to what I would like to eat, and then they the rest, or the uh, um, waiter the waiter comes and is just like, what would you like? And I'm just like, I'll just point. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, I think that's yep. chicken, maybe. Me, <laughs> <laughs> may I have this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To write it down. That's a write it down. Do you write down what you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works yeah. great. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Randy, I know you're going to shoot us because I saw you go to jump in twice. Did you lose it? Yeah, you... I always do. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about words being jumbled. Like the crap. Inside my mind is perfect. Mm-hmm. Trying to spell it, that first letter is perfect for me. The C. And I know how to spell crap. But there are words Go ahead. that C-R-A-B. <laughs> you are a wizard in every I, I podcast. Mean, you put people on the spot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but there are words that are inside my mind that the first letter is completely correct. Maybe the second one's right. Maybe the third and fourth one is jumbled. And I can't figure out why it is and what it is. Well, one of the things that we talked about was how someone with apraxia might fit this definition of having good inner speech, but then not being able to get it out. But it's not only people with apraxia. Um, So when you want to say a word, there's a lot of steps that happen in your brain for that to happen. And the first ones have to do with just thinking of the word getting to the word that you want but there's a few steps that happen after that before you speak it Um, and the very last one is the motor planning um, that we talked about as the definition of apraxia but before that there's some other stuff like putting the sounds in the right order and making sure it's ready for the motor plans Um, so someone who has trouble there which might be you um, would also have words in their head that didn't come out right is there a way if there's a listener out there who says my inner speech is really good how do i use that as a tool to help me get my words out because i know jerry voices consistently that he's so frustrated it's so frustrating it's in my head and i can't get it out 
So now that we know that, you know, people with aphasia aren't making that up, really is in their head, how do, how do they use that tool? That's a great question. I think, um, for one, it could be helpful if you are um, in therapy and working with a speech pathologist to share that information with her or him um, to say, you know, I really feel like I have these words and the only problem is the last piece of it. Hopefully, if they're a good speech pathologist, they already have a sense of that. Um, (laughs) And then um, the question is, what are the types of cues that you can give yourself or get from someone else that help you get the last step of the way? So if the person you're talking with has a sense of what you might say and they just need to show you where to put your mouth to get that word started, that might help. Or you might be able to learn to train yourself to do that, to picture in your head where your mouth needs to go for certain sounds or for certain words. Um, But I think it is helpful to know how close you are to getting the word out to understand how much help you need to get to the rest of it. So what is it about inner speech that we haven't asked you, but you wish we would have? Well, one thing um, that we sort of talked around but didn't say exactly is that there are some people who say that their inner speech perfectly matches their out loud speech in that if they can, and this is, I'm talking about people with aphasia, they say, if I can think of the word and say the word in my head, I could say it out loud. There's no reason I wouldn't be able to get that word out. And so for those people, they don't have apraxia or these motor problems or output problems um, that affect speech. Their aphasia is more focused on earlier just thinking of the word in the first place. Um, So we talked mostly about people who can have good inner speech and not get it out, but there are actually people whose inner speech matches their out loud speech. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, The research uh, aphasia, uh, the I am interested, the charts, it's a the in my head it's a the Randy and me are different the MRI mm-hmm. and it's it, your research shows the chart is correct um so if I understood you right let me try let me try to answer and you can tell me if this answer is what you were thinking um In the first project that I did on inner speech, I asked a lot of people just about their experience in their everyday life. Do you ever have times when you have a word in your head and you can't say it out loud? And how often does that happen to you? And when people said that that happens very, very often, I looked at their MRIs to see where their strokes were, and their strokes were exactly where you would expect. They were in the parts of the brain that help with speech, Um, so the same types of strokes that cause apraxia. For people who said, no, I don't have the word in my head and can't get it out, I just can't think of the word in the first place, people who had more of that type of problem had strokes Um, that were in a different part of the brain that helps with thinking of words. 
Um, so just based on what people told me about their inner speech, we were able to show a difference in the stroke location. Hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, it's. <clears throat> I am interested by the MRI. It's both it mostly showing us, and it's uh, you're predicting it big time. It's the MRI, and now it's steps ahead of that. Mostly therapy. It's a. It's interesting to me. Um, and I, I mean, I, you have participated in this research, correct? Yes. Um, and one of the things that you always mention is how large your stroke was, right? You say that all the time. I hear always like, <laughs> it's huge, it's gigantic. And well, I have a turtle in my head. <laughs> <laughs> basically, yes. So, and I don't. I mean, I don't know. Does something like that change what you would see or what you predict? And so you asked if the size of the stroke affects um, these questions about inner speech. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it can. And part of that is because the bigger a stroke, the more areas of the brain that are involved and the more likely it is that it affects these parts that support your output. Um, every stroke is different, and you're right that everybody is, um, if you look at everyone's brain, they'll all look a little different, but strokes do happen in certain patterns. They're, everybody's <laughs> brain has the same type of uh, blood flow, and so strokes follow. Do you see a difference in those MRIs between um, hemorrhagic or... Um, ischemic. That's Ischemics a great question are usually too. smaller. Yeah, so the difference... Hemorrhagics are usually much larger. And also TBIs. So, I'm just wondering. Yeah, so for the two different types of strokes, um, not necessarily. It, the difference would come just based on what parts of the brain were affected. But if it was the exact same area from an ischemic stroke and the exact same area for a hemorrhagic stroke, that might look the same. Um, for a TBI, it's sort of the same thing. It doesn't really matter um, for these questions about inner speech. It doesn't matter what caused the damage to the brain. It just matters what parts of the brain are affected. Gotcha. One thing that is different about a TBI is that, you know, the brain doesn't work where each area does its own thing. Every piece is talking to each other and the network really matters. And so there are some differences in the way that a stroke affects the network versus the way a TBI might affect the whole network. But there's not necessarily a difference. Gotcha. I got a, a question about, um, of course, I just came up, thought about it like 10 minutes ago. When you were talking, can't say your name. <laughs> no. Mac. Mm, Mac. Mac. Something with the M. Yeah, yeah that's like me. Like Big Mac, like Mac. from McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> just call like him McDonald's. <laughs> the question about the, um, you were talking about how Jerry, like inside he can think about it, um, but he can't, he's not good at saying it. Has, have you got the chance to even study that? or Because I've heard a bunch, and I think it's right, and I think that's what uh, – is that people 
like they're doing is people sing and they can sing the words so that's what I have after you know for like the year I still do it sometimes instead of trying to sing a song I'm like you know I'd like to have something I'd like to eat sometime <laughs> right now or something but I'm just wondering if that's something that like you know something like Jerry could probably so you're saying Jerry should start singing out loud yeah, yeah. just to get food <laughs> <laughs> just to food that's it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk to your you know talk to your kids or do your homework no, you know you said <laughs> do your homework for food uh, that's it. Of because it's so <laughs> <laughs> Because what is it? It's like 80 or 90% of your, on the right side of your brain is singing, right? Yeah, so this isn't something that I've researched on my own, um, but you're absolutely right that there are a lot of people who struggle with speech, who um, whose speech gets a little better when you put a rhythm to it. So either singing a real song, that's a known song, or singing for your dinner and just <laughs> putting a rhythm to whatever you're, you're saying. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great point. We were talking earlier about what types of therapy might be um, better for people who have good inner speech and trouble with out loud speech, and something like that might be a good example. Um, and I wanted to add earlier to that same question of, you know, what might this say about treatment and what this might say about therapy. Um, <laughs> That's Wilson, our therapy exciting. dog. Um, He's excited, too. He can't he wait is. to hear what you have to Very say. Very exciting. Um, <laughs> Did I we tell you that our podcast comes with a dog? <laughs> I should have answered at the beginning when you said what was different than what I expected. The big dog was not part of my <laughs> image. But, what are you doing, um, Wilson? Oh, no. <laughs> He's itchy. Oh, hello. Oh. Uh, knowing about someone's inner speech might help you eliminate some approaches that you would use for someone who doesn't have good inner speech. So if you've already got the words in your head, you don't need someone giving you clues like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a type of food that you eat for dinner that's made from this. And, you know, you're like, yeah, I know. I have yeah, the word in my head. I don't need that. So that's another piece of information that could be helpful in thinking about you know, I don't need that type of support. That's not going to help me because I'm already past that stage, if that makes sense. Um, one um, word, no, sentence structure. Oh. Yeah, oh. I, I feel the same way. I study single words for that very reason. So putting <laughs> sentences into a structure is a whole separate beast. Yeah. Um, Right, and that's what we give you a hard time about around here constantly. You mm-hmm. have the one word, mm-hmm. um, and you can put it all into a sentence. It's no, just slowly. So? So, slow is, is fine, but it's a lot more work. It takes a yeah. lot more energy. Ugh. It takes a lot more cognitive drive to get it all in order when you could just say, Screw this. Right. (laughs) You know what I want, right? I told you what I want. You know what I want. Why do I have to put it in a whole stupid sentence? Just give me what I want. Mm -hmm. So alive, please. (laughs) All right. I think on that note, we should wrap it up. Uh, Mackenzie, thank you so, so much for coming in. We are all going to send you positive vibes 
for that PhD, make sure you let us know when it happens so we can give you a shout out. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for I having think we'll me. just call you Dr. Mac anyway. You. I'm feeling optimistic <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, Don't jinx it. I won't. Okay. We'll just call her Mac. Exactly. All right. We'll do it. Um, all right. So, Joyce, I think you're up. Okay. They slow grow together. Beautiful. Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion is not valid. Well, it is, but it's, it's valid, valid, but I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? Um, they. They. They're doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Doctor. Amen. <laughs>